0: Welcome everyone to this episode of Unraveling the Veil with your host Yara Rose from the yararose.com website. That's y a r a r o s e.com. Welcome everyone to this special podcast episode. Today is May 29th, 2021. It is Memorial Day weekend. I have been getting this feeling all week like I want to put the story out there. It's very powerful. I've had a very strong nudge that this is the perfect weekend to share this story with you. And I honestly am beyond honored and humbled to be able to share it with you because the stories that I'm going to share with you today are so profound and so amazing that it amazes me and it blows my mind that I am even able to share these with you. Memorial Day means so many things to so many different people. Some people think of it as the unofficial kickoff to the start of a summer. To some people, it may just be a three-day long weekend. And to some people, Memorial Day is about remembering all of those that have served and lost their lives. In my family, Memorial Day has always been about remembering those that have lost their life while serving the country that they love so much. Our Memorial Days always started with the local community's Memorial Day program, followed by a visit to the cemetery where we would visit my Uncle Donnie's grave. And this was usually followed by an invite for lunch with the family in honor of this day. I never had the privilege to meet my Uncle Donnie. All that I've ever known him for was a grave marker in a cemetery. And from the stories and kind words that people that have known Donnie or my family have told me about him, he died serving our country in the Vietnam War. He died when my father was only eight years old. So when I ask my father what he thinks about when he thinks about his older brother Donnie, he says, well, I was only eight, so I think of the older, protective brother that liked to tease and pick on us. When I asked one of my father's older siblings to tell me what they remember about Donnie, she told me that he was a wonderful role model for them, for all of his siblings, that he was respectful to his parents, and that he took on the role of protector not only as an older brother, but also to all of those people he met that were less fortunate and picked on for whatever reason. He was a respectful, kind, caring, loving, strong young man who knew what his values were. He always took time to do what was important to him, whether that was helping his parents out with their family farm or attending Mass before going out with his friends at night on the weekends. From what I understand, Don was one of those people that just connected with everyone he met and had a lasting impression on them. It didn't seem to matter how long he was in their lives. They would remember him. He just left that kind of impression. And I know many people that knew Don in life that stayed close to his family just so they could keep a connection with him alive. A couple years ago, I heard a story about Don that I had never heard before. And the story still has such a profound effect on me to this day, and I think it will forever be with me. And I am so excited today to be talking to you because I had the privilege this week of meeting the author of this story and getting his permission to share not only this story, but a couple other stories with you that I feel are so amazing and profound and perfect for this Memorial Day weekend. I told Spirit that I am so humbled and honored to be given this amazing gift to share with you all. And honestly, my hope for this episode is to just do justice in retelling these stories to the two men that made these stories possible. And that by telling you these stories, you will forever be changed in one way or another. I know I was. I had the privilege this week to talk to Steve. Steve was a friend of my Uncle Don's when they were 19, 20, that range, years old. And he has an amazing, astounding, astonishing story about Don that I'm going to share with you in a little bit. But before I talk about that, I want to tell you a little bit about Steve because I had never known this man. I just heard a story that he had told me that I'll share with you later a couple years back, but this week was the first week I've ever talked to him. And he doesn't know me. I'm a complete stranger to him. All that he knows is that I am a niece of a friend that he once had. But he was willing to drop everything and have an hour and a half conversation with me about his life. And he opened up and he told me so many amazing, fantastic stories. And in that one conversation, I came to know several things about Steve. He's an amazing, strong, open, honest, loving, caring, spectacular human being. He's one of those people that I feel like I could talk to every day for years and I would still learn things. He is so in touch with God. Him and Donnie had that in common. They were both very strong in their faith. And Steve's faith is astounding. He has been given this amazing gift, a gift that I told him, seems almost like it's a blessing and a curse because it has the power to save lives and also reveal when someone may die and not have the power to save them. I've never met anyone that has this gift, but I can see why God would give Steve this gift because he is a genuine, honest, loving man that tries to help everyone that he meets. And I can see why my uncle Don would be friends with someone like him. I want to share some of Steve's stories with you. He was kind enough to tell me so that I was able to share them with you as well because they are so powerful and amazing. I am going to do my best in sharing these stories, but I will be honest, they would obviously be better from him. Unfortunately, I didn't have the forethought to record our conversations. Everything except for Donnie's story, and I will read that to you verbatim with what he had written. The other stories are all going to be paraphrased with what I remember from our phone conversation. And since I'm not the most detailed person, I'm going to try to sell them the best that I can. But in general, just know that you're going to get my version of his stories, which are not nearly as detailed and as wonderful, but still very powerful, I believe. Steve told me he was introduced to his gift from the Lord when he was 12 years old. At that age, he was by a lake. And at one point while they were at the lake, he had saw this young three-year-old boy hanging out at the edge of the dock. And his mom was busy doing something and wasn't quite paying attention to the boy. And then when she told him it was time to eat, no one knew where the boy had went, and he knew he had been by the docks, so Steve had went to the edge of the docks and just looked out, and he thought he saw some hair, so he dove in. While he was diving, he was trying to find this boy to see where he was, and he had to come up for air, I think, three or four times, and on the third time, I believe someone was like, he can't be there, he's got to be somewhere else, get out of that water, you know, he's not there. And Steve's like, no, I'm always I'm, no, here. So he dove down again. And he didn't see the boy, but he saw this bright light. And when he looked closer, he saw that it was actually coming out of a body. And when he looked closer, this body was doing the dead man's float below the surface of the water. And he at first didn't know what that light was, but Somehow it was connected to this body. And he went towards the body and started dragging him up towards the surface of the water. He was able to get the boy out and hand the boy to someone that was on shore. And they did what they needed to do to resuscitate him. And as they were doing this, Steve noticed that the light went back into the boy. And that boy survived and is living with kids of his own now. But that was Steve's first incident with seeing what he feels is the Holy Spirit leaving a human body. And he has come to understand that when he sees light outside of the body like that, that person is going to die unless something else intervenes. This is a very powerful gift that he has been living with. And I can't honestly imagine what it must be like to have that kind of experience and have that kind of knowledge as you're walking throughout the world and just seeing people, various people that have this light. I'm telling you this story because It will come up again later in the story that he has about my Uncle Don. But also it shows how in touch and gifted Steve is. And I admire him so much because he is so strong and willing to follow the guidance that he's getting. And he knows what that means. And he's willing to put himself out there and tells people, complete strangers, hey, I'm seeing this, and it means this, and I recommend that you do this. He has saved people's lives. Another story that I had the privilege of hearing was one in which Steve himself was saved. And the story is so phenomenal. It demonstrates that if you're open to hearing messages and you're willing to trust your own intuition as well as what you hear and what comes through when that's in alignment with your intuition, it truly can save your life. And as you've heard in previous podcast episodes, I am all about learning how to develop and believe and trust that intuition because it can continue to save our lives and help guide us in the right direction. When Steve was 24, he was serving in the war in Vietnam. And he From time to time, he would be the designated driver for some officers from a different camp. And every time that he drove for them, he would stay at their camp in an extra bunk that they had for him. And one night, on June 9th, 1972, they were going about their normal routine, and he was driving them back to their camp. And when he was driving them, he got this message that, He shouldn't stay the night. He shouldn't follow his normal routine. He shouldn't stay. And he thought that that was really weird. But he said, you know, I have to follow my routine. I have to bring them home. They've been drinking. They can't drive. They need to go back to the camp. So he drives them back and he watches. He's watching the fence open and the sentinel opening the gates with all this wire everywhere. And enters the compound and gets out. And then he hears the message three more times. Don't stay here tonight. If you stay here tonight, you are going to die. Do not stay here tonight. When Steve faced the compound, he got a sickening feeling in his gut and just didn't feel right. But when he would turn around and face the fence to leave, he felt perfectly normal. And he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't have very many options. The path that he drove down to get there to this camp was very long and it's pitch dark And it was near the the airplanes would come in and out, so it wasn't a very safe zone because he said you could hear the other side shooting at the planes as they came in and left, trying to derail them. And their enemy was all around, so he didn't know what to do. And as he's thinking about going to his bunk, he gets the message again. Steve, if you stay here tonight, you will die. You need to leave. And he asked in his head, what's going to happen? Is this camp going to be attacked tonight? And he got the message that no, the camp was going to be fine. Everyone else was going to be fine. But if he stayed there, he would die and he needed to leave. So he asked who was saying this, who's talking to him. And he got this download almost is what I would call it. He didn't call it that, but he had this information that these beings were sent from someone higher up. There were messengers and they were sent with the message that he was not to stay there that night and that he needed to leave camp or he would die. And it sounded to me like he almost had he had a conversation with these messengers about his destiny and what he was supposed to do and They told him so many things about the future that have come true. But here he was at 24 years old in this camp was around midnight and he had no way back to his car. He had no way to get there besides walking and it's pitch dark and there's enemy all around. But yet he's told by these messengers that if he stays, he will die. So he goes to one of the commanding officers and tells them that he needs to go back to his camp. He said that because this was a different camp than his and they weren't his commanding officer and because they were off duty, they could not order him to stay. So after talking to one of the officers and telling him that he needs to leave or he's going to die, the guy told the sentinel to let him back out. So he leaves He's walking down this dark path all by himself with no camels on, no guns, nothing to protect himself and enemy all around. He can hear the gunshots. And as he's walking, eventually a jeep comes and he doesn't know who it is, but they slowly start stopping when they see someone walking down the path. And they shine a light in his eye. And thankfully, it was a friendly. It was a South Vietnamese officer. And he asked him why he's walking this late at night all by himself down this path. And when he said he was trying to get back to his car and that he had to get back to his camp tonight, he said he was called all sorts of names somewhere along the lines of being so stupid and not thinking and told to get into the vehicle. And thankfully, was returned safely back to his camp without further incident. The next morning, the officer that he had told he needed to leave where he was going to die came and found him at his camp and told him the most astonishing story. He told him that after he had left, he had went to bed just as he had been instructed by Steve and laid down immediately without delaying, as were the instructions. And shortly after that, a rocket came right through camp and landed on the exact bunk that Steve would have been sleeping in. He said, thankfully, the rocket didn't go off because the powder had been wet. But had Steve slept in that bunk, he would have been crushed to death immediately. This officer just could not believe that this was true. He could not believe that, that this truly happened. And I don't blame him because it's so hard to imagine being a 24 year old, getting a message like that and trusting it and believing in it enough that you're willing to walk out of a safe encampment into the dark unknown where enemy lies everywhere. And you can hear them shooting off guns all around and be confident that you're safer out there than in a secure camp with all of your fellow armed force members. And I can't imagine the strength and faith that it takes for someone to do that. Steve said that the Army later showed him that particular rocket that could have taken his life. And the reaction his entire body had was visceral. The Energy was so powerful that he immediately stepped back and said he wanted nothing to do with that rocket. They had wanted him to take it home as a souvenir to remind him of the close call he had. And he told them he wanted nothing to do with it. He never wanted to see it again. I don't want to give too much of my own opinions and feelings about the stories that I share that Steve has allowed me to share with you because they are so amazing and astonishing and and resonating. I don't want anything that I could say to take away from their power. That being said, I would love to share the other story that Steve has about my Uncle Don. So here we go. There is a story to tell about an inscription on a brick in our memorial patio. The brick is to remember what Don did years ago. This inscription is simple. All it says is, Don Galing, he gave it all. It's a simple, short message, except that he served in Vietnam and died as many others have died in support of our country's actions. But this young man was a good friend of mine, a very good friend. He will be forever 19 to me. I've grown older and time wedges between us. I've grown to appreciate him in an honored sense. He was a year younger than me, when we met in a Rochester, Minnesota, junior college. It doesn't seem possible that I only knew him a little over a year. The impression of integrity, honesty, and wisdom this young Christian man exhibited seemed beyond his age. There were about four or five of us any given weekend that consistently hung out together. The pressure, the fear in our country at that time was being drafted and going to war. Vietnam was culling out my age group. I had already attended one funeral for Larry Watson from school back in the spring of 1966. He was an army grunt right out of boot camp. I remember Bob was one of his pallbearers, but this is about Don. He commuted from Grand Meadow to Rochester, Minnesota. Bob bought my roommate Rick and I a case of Colt malt liquor in our apartment refrigerator. This stuff was terrible, but it was an excuse to come over. Just for this one time, I might add. I don't know how Larry could drink that stuff. (laughs) Ha ha. I worked at King Leo's Hamburgers. It was named after a character in the Popeye cartoon strip. 12 cent hamburgers, 17 cents with cheese, 28 cents for a malt, 20 cents for a fish sandwich, and 15 cents for fries. When someone ordered hot chocolate, we were only allowed three to four of the smallest marshmallows ever. If a customer complained, we were called down for it in front of the customer. Later, the boss would say, nice try, and we might count out five for the rest of the night. The malts were made ahead of time, chocolate, strawberry, or vanilla, and we would close at 11 p.m. What was left in the freezer was thrown away. So in our apartment refrigerator, Each shelf held a different flavor and on the bottom was the malt liquor. It was kind of a status symbol of freedom to say we had it, since none of us were legal drinking age. Our steady diet was usually noodles and cheese with a malt. Friday night, Don and Larry would show up. Entertainment was trolling Main Street in Rochester and talking smart to carloads of girls. Around April of 1967, Don surprised me with the news he was joining the Marines. He asked me to join him when the semester was over as we could go through boot camp together. I said, Don, there's people dying over there. They're coming home in a box. Yeah, he said, but I'm going to be a clerk typist because I passed all the tests and my typing speed is pretty good. I don't know what your assignment would be, Steve, but we would always be close friends with shared memories of boot camp for life. It was early August when he called O'Reilly and said he was home on leave and would be heading to Vietnam. We all met next to Kaufman Hall in the afternoon along with Harvey from Goodhue, his sister Jane, and Larry. Now my story gets a little sticky. The Lord gives us many gifts and we all have choices on how we will use them. One of those gifts I cannot explain. The last time I see someone, if there is an aura of light around them, they are going to die prematurely or violently. It is brighter than daylight, and it foretells the death of that person. The phenomena has occurred to me just a few times. When it happens, I'm taken aback. and might blurt out what's going to happen. The first time this occurred was when I went into the water right at sunset and saved a three-year-old boy. He glowed so brightly, it actually lit up the muddy bottom around him. There was this glow around Don that reached out about four inches around him from his head to his feet. Don, I blurted out, I can't explain this, but there is an aura of light around you, and I know how you are going to die. Everyone was looking at me very quietly. This was on everyone's mind, and here I am, speaking it out loud. Don, I'm heading for art school in a couple of weeks, but to heck with that. We can pack up my 55 Chevy and head for Canada. We can find jobs doing things up there. At least we will be alive, O'Reilly says, hovel, as if to shut me up. I continued, you are a farm boy and are used to getting up before dawn to do chores, feed, and milk the cows. The sentries will fall asleep and their throats will be cut or something and the Viet Cong will be across the wire. You will stand up and start firing. You will wake everyone up, but you are going to take all the return fire. O'Reilly said, shut up, how will you're freaking me out. No, I'm serious. And said, can't anyone else see it? I turned to sister and said, don't you see it? She said, yes, I see something. That's when Don started speaking. He said, Steve, I appreciate what you are saying, but I'm trained to react and what will happen to the others if I'm not there to alert them. There were no more words left in me. And I said, please be careful. I thought maybe there still is a chance to change things. What are you doing tonight? Let's go to the drive-in movie. So Larry, Don, and I met that evening and messed around with a car load of girls at the speaker next to us. Then the biggest put-down ever was when they started the car and drove to another speaker. Don, Larry, and I talked a little. The movie was called The Apartment. It was boring and depressing. They dropped me off at my car, and we said goodbye. The aura was not seen again. I prayed that maybe something had changed, and it wasn't going to happen after all. That late October, I hitchhiked home for the weekend. O'Reilly was home also, and he shared the news that Don got a purple heart with a head wound. He was okay and was recovering in a hospital. A month later, Don was shipped home for a closed coffin ceremony. After recovering, he had been returned back to his unit. I believe it was north of the rubber plantations. But the story is not quite over yet. The last night before leaving Minnesota, Don was packing his duffel bag while his little sister was watching. He told her how he was going to die, exactly as I told him. It was years later, at the 10th anniversary of the wall in Washington, D.C., I broke down when I found his name high up on the wall. Another vet held a ladder as I got rubbings for his family. When I returned to Grand Meadow, Don's sister took me out to the gravesite, and Memorial Day flag was still flying next to his grave. It was cold, and the wind cut a little with a hint of snow. It was there that she told me about someone that showed up from his unit. He described how Don died, and it was how I told him many years earlier. He was awarded the Bronze Star for his actions. I wept as she told me how Larry went through basics with him. He comes out to visit the grave quite frequently. The next Mother's Day, I showed up with a matted and framed loon print. It was for in place of Don for his mother. It was my first painting commission that ironically was for O'Reilly. Now to try and sum this up. If Don knew how he was going to die as the process started that fateful night, he did save lives with his action. His bronze star symbolizes for me what is elevated to Medal of Honor Courage in this case. As it says in our memorial garden, he gave it all, knowing the outcome months in advance. For me, this aura gift has been with me a couple of other times. The difference? Don was given the choice. And he had to be thinking back as he started firing his M-16 that night. If I gave Don anything, it was that the knowledge and the choice he had to make that night when he gave it all. So if there were any questions about whom and what the inscription out there is about, now hopefully you will know. I truly know what it means when I say to other vets, welcome home and thank you for your service. Are there any questions? I'm talking about valor. I'm telling you about a hero. I think of him every day of my life. At times when I feel lazy about getting up in the morning, I think of Don not being able to enjoy his day. Then I get up and I try to do something constructive. I pray for the Lord to walk with me and I thank God for this new day. And that's the end of that story. I never met Don, but I have felt his loss throughout my father's entire family. They often wonder, what would their brother be like today? My dad wonders what kind of heart-to-heart conversations they could have had as they both grew older and navigated life together. What would Don's family look like? Would he have had one? Would he have had kids? How would they all fit together? His physical absence has definitely been felt throughout the years although we know he is with us in spirit and have felt him around us many times and he has given us many signs, it's just not the same. I don't know why and how it's determined who is going to get to come home for more, who is going to get to go on and continue living long lives, and why some people are cut short at the age of 20, in Don's case, or five, or six, or whatever, all the different ages that people die at. I think Personally, that it has a lot to do with our mission and earth and what we came here for. It seems to me that the people that die young leave a very lasting impression. They come down here full of life and connect with people quickly and easily and effortlessly and are so strong and beautiful that when their light is extinguished early, the loss is felt by many for years. I know that we felt the loss of Don, and I know that on this Memorial Day, we are all reminded of the people that have been lost. I want to thank them all for their sacrifice, and to all the families out there that are feeling the loss of them, I hear you, and my heart goes out to you too. I truly believe that everyone that comes to Earth has a particular mission, and that these people fulfilled their mission. Thank you for that. And for those that are in the military or other first responder positions and wonder why it wasn't them, your mission's not over yet. There's more work for you to do here. Honor that soul that was part of your life and continue moving forward and living your life to the fullest. Enjoy every day and be grateful that you have another opportunity to live and live your life. That's the best way to honor these soldiers and other members of the first responders that have sacrificed their lives for us. I know that this episode was mainly geared towards those that served us in the army and also first responders and all of those people that put their lives on the line for us every day. But truly I feel that this advice is pertinent for anyone that has ever lost another family member. Any loss is hard, especially those that are young. Remember them. Remember all of the good times and all of the things that you learned from them. But continue living. Continue moving forward in your life. And remember, they're always there with you in spirit. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you, Steve, for sharing these stories and allowing me to share them with the world. And for any of you that are listening and believe in offering up prayers and sending out positive vibes, please send Steve and his wife some of those prayers and vibes as they're going through a difficult medical crisis in their lives and would love and appreciate any extra love and prayers that you can give them. Thank you so much again for joining me with all of my love, Yara Rose.